the you kind of like this guy, but when you can't decide between the filet o fish <laughs> um, or the Big Mac, and he says, I'll get you both. Thank you. You definitely <laughs> like this guy meal. Get it at McDonald's when you get two of your faves for just six bucks. Limited time only. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Little Gold Men is brought to you by the 21st Annual Critics' Choice Awards. Tune in live January 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific to see who in film and TV takes the top prizes. Only on A&E. This episode of Little Gold Men is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code GOLDMEN, that's G-O-L-D-M-E-N, at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, an award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the Hollywood editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here as usual with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. This week, the Oscar nominations are out. Finally, we know what is actually nominated and we can stop speculating. So we'll dive deep into those nominations, what they mean, what we were surprised by, what we're happy about. All of that. And then we'll share our conversation with Donald Gleason, who is the star of four huge 2015 movies, all of which got nominated for at least one Oscar, two of them for Best Picture. That's Ex Machina, Brooklyn, The Revenant, and Star Wars. And uh, Brooklyn and The Revenant are the Best Picture nominations. So we talked to him about being in all of those films, how grueling it was to go from the set of The Revenant to a play in Ireland back to the set of The Revenant. And uh, he didn't give us any Star Wars secrets, but you can uh, try to read his intonation to see what he gave away anyway. But before we talk to Donal, let's dig into those Oscar nominations. So guys, we've had a few hours to process the Oscar nominations. They came out in a flurry. There are surprises. There are snubs. Uh, there are only eight Best Picture nominees, which I believe is the first time that number in particular has happened since they uh, made it the sliding scale between five and ten. Uh, so as we dive into this giant collection of nominees, let's start with Best Picture. Uh, Mike, you... Apparently, you you were surprised that there were eight. I think, I yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's always been nine, hasn't it? Pretty much every ba- I year believe since so, they yeah. did this. And I was thinking that the field was so all over the place that maybe it could finally be ten. Although mm-hmm. some people say it's like mathematically impossible for it to be ten, even though technically it's between five and ten. But there's a guy, um, Vlad Norman. I'm just going to name check him. He used to work at Weinstein. He does stuff for various studios. And he predicted last night on Facebook that there would be eight nominees. And I'm trying to get him to explain to me how he knew. <laughs> he, all he'll say is it's how the numbers work, which is kind of obvious. But anyway, <laughs> in a year where it seemed like there were so many movies that were kind of in the mix, surprisingly, there was one fewer than we usually get. Well, in our predictions, we said that both Carol and Straight Outta Compton would be on this list and that Room wouldn't. So that was, we were, we were pretty close. We did all right, but I uh, didn't quite get it. Uh, yeah, we were also hoping for Creed, uh, well, hoping yeah. against hope, I think. But, yeah. but you know, that was your thing that you started, the well, Creed wave. Yeah, I, yeah, my Creed wave didn't take off so much. It was a one woman or, <laughs> I know. or three well, person I was also Creed hoping wave. Star Wars would still sneak in there. So yes. that was, that, my, my efforts didn't go so well. Yeah, but uh, we called the big short Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max, The Martian, The Revenant. Uh, and Spotlight. And Spotlight. So Room was a great surprise as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But I think Richard needs to address the Carol situation. Yeah, Carol Gate. Yeah, I mean, I wish that I could say that I was that surprised. I mean, I think that I have more faith every year. You know, I was talking about on our Golden Globes episode about how I sort of have this 
memory that sort of just keeps resetting itself every <laughs> January, where I sort of forget how, how, you know, how these kind of things play out. So last night I was looking at some last minute predictions of other people, and some of them didn't have Carol on. And I was like, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe something bad is going to happen. And indeed, it did, did happen. And Carol was not nominated for Best Picture. You know, and had they gone to nine, I'm sure it would have been. Um, I think that was probably the ninth movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's it's disappointing, but is it surprising given the kind of track record of a movie like Carol at the Oscars? Not all that surprising. It got the the nominations in other categories that we sort of assumed it would. But I, I don't know. I had sort of held out hope that this very well-reviewed, sort of beautifully made film would would catch the the voters' fancy, but it, it didn't seem to have. I, I knew it was divisive, and I, I knew from the DGA nominations that Haynes was kind of not necessarily an, an, an obvious uh, nominee, even though I think when we all saw it, we were like, oh, my God, definite nominee. It just feels oscar in kind of the best way, yeah. that movie. But there's also the fact that H- Todd Haynes has been, has been basically consistently overlooked for his entire career, the only nomination he has, it's amazing to me, actually, the only nomination he has is for Best Writing for Far From Heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is typically where they put the movie that they like enough, but they think is too weird to be a Best Picture nominee, especially back then when there were only five. Right, yeah. So, uh, But I guess the big surprise in director is Lenny Abramson from Room, right? Yeah. Because yeah. we were all thinking, oh, Room sputtered, it lost its... Uh, and and not, no, I don't think anyone was happy about it. It was just like, mm-hmm. eh, I don't know why this movie doesn't have momentum. Well, because or... there were all these... There was The Revenant and The Big Short that kind of muscled their way in there, these huge movies with all these men in the center. And it was like, what, how is something like Room possibly going to fit in? And then Room really did fit in. Like, clearly yeah. they wanted this alternative to t- something as gigantic as The Revenant. Like, there could not be more different movies than The Revenant and Room, which makes this yeah. a really fun nomination, I think. And I think now it's... I would be shocked if Brie Larson didn't win... Uh, best actress yeah. now that they've got the you know the picture and the director support for that movie yeah. um and then i guess we should talk about before we move on from best picture let's talk about the revenant cuz i think the revenant <laughs> is going to win best picture it got 12 nominations which is by far the most i think mad max is second with 10 um, or maybe eleven. Anyway, it's so the Revenant is clearly very. And popular. I, I know there's a lot of complaints about the Revenant, and it's very like dudely and all the rest of it, and maybe even kind of problematic in terms of cultural stuff. As a heterosexual white dude who's forty, I walked out of there pretty psyched, <laughs> and I was like, Tom Hardy nominee for best supporting and then everyone was like you're insane you're insane you're insane I didn't go with my gut on that Tom Hardy showing up and best supporting means a lot of Oscar voters walked out of there at that same kind of like war whatever you want to call it tumescence that I had <laughs> and uh, and I, I think that movie's going to win at this point huh. I I I don't know if I can quite go there just because for one director to win back-to-back Oscars takes a lot. And yeah. if Birdman hadn't won last year, I'd say it would be an easy contest. But I don't I don't know. I don't think that The Revenant has, is walking away with it quite that easily. And, you know, the Oscar history is sort of littered with these movies that get tons and tons of nominations and then kind of leave with nothing. Yeah. I don't think The Revenant will leave with nothing. But I think that there are some perhaps more sentimental or more universal movies than, than even though Revenant got a, the most nominations like I think that maybe something along the lines of Big Short or Spotlight could kind of now that the nominations have been set maybe some people who didn't see all the movies are going to go back and watch things that are you know now that they have a sort of short list to work with I don't know I mean The Revenant is good and it's well made but like it's it's also really hard to watch and I don't know so yeah and it's divisive more divisive probably than um, Spotlight yes. or Big Short I think Spotlight yeah. Spotlight's thing is everyone likes it, but it's hard to find people who are kind of passionate about it. And then Big Short 
it's I don't know what why I'm a little bit still unsure about Big Short. It doesn't have that sweep. Doesn't have that big epic Oscar sweep. And I right. and I sometimes wonder if uh, the Academy is going to be a little snobby about the fact that it's the guy who did Step Brothers. Although he doesn't seem to be facing much of that headwind at all. And no. he's in the he's in the directors. Uh, Although there was an excellent thing that I retweeted where someone said if all these directors had been nominated for their previous films, it would be Tom McCarthy for The Cobbler, which is a famous flop, and Adam McKay for Anchorman Two, and George Miller for Happy Feet Two. Like yeah. They are all coming from like except for in your they're all coming from very weird movies. So. And we'll and we'll go back and and now and like cash in and make lots of money making more crappy sure. movies. I'm sure. Sure. Uh. But, so to jump a little further down the line, talking about what's going to win Best Picture, it, it's the only Birdman has won Best Picture without a film editing nomination in the last 30 years or so, which is a fascinating and weird stat, but true. So the Best Picture nominees that got the editing nomination are The Big Short, Mad Max, The Revenant, and Spotlight. So that is kind of what you're down to if you go by that common wisdom. And that does seem to be the top four at this point. That's a pretty good list. It I think you're going to get a lot of Oscar nerd, blogger nerds making a big push for Mad Max now, too. Well, it's that still doesn't seem like it's going to win to me. But I can't knows? imagine it, but I don't know. I, I mean, I still think it's I think it's Spotlight at this point, probably. I haven't been predicting it that consistently, but I think the You think Spotlight's going to win Best Picture? I think the nomination for Rachel McAdams is a really strong indication. The editing nomination is strong. Yeah. Like, it's way less divisive than The Revenant, as we were saying. And I think there was some debate about whether Tom McCarthy would get in as director mm-hmm. because it's such an economical kind of unshowy movie that, like, maybe someone who kind of did something a little bit more exciting would get in there, even if their film wasn't nominated for Best Picture. But he did get in there. So I don't know. I, I think I, I'm kind of erring on the side of Katie right now, but that might be personal bias. Frankly. Well, we have six weeks <laughs> yeah. to go. So yeah. who knows what, yeah. you know, I guess the, Carol's not in the race, so Harvey Weinstein isn't here to throw a wrench into things, but anything could happen. Well, let's talk for a second about the difference between the voting on Best Picture nominations and the voting on uh, nominations for other categories. For most of the categories, it's the people in that branch. So if you're a cinematographer, uh, only you get to vote on the nominations for cinematography. But for Best Picture, everybody gets to vote on those nominations. And then, of course, for the awards, the entire 6,000-some Academy gets to vote on every single award. Presumably, most Academy members who are going to vote on Best Picture have seen the four movies that we're kind of singling out as... as yeah, but who but knows? Know. It's very possible a lot of them were avoiding The Revenant, hoping they wouldn't have to deal with it. And now <laughs> and they're going to have to deal with yeah. it. Or in room. Yeah, who knows? If we want to talk about the acting categories, we can pat ourselves on the back. We got all of our predictions right on those. Uh, for for best on the lead actor, act, the lead acting and ca- actor and actress, we got all of those right, and including Charlotte Rampling for forty five years. So uh, that that gamble paid off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think that for whatever reason, that just seemed like a kind of inevitability, even though there was no sort of material evidence to support it. And I think, I think that that mo- that's also a movie that that benefits from the sort of slow burn. You know, mm-hmm. they had a little bit more time than Golden Globes, a little bit more time than SAGs, and also, you know, I think the Academy prides itself. In, on occasion in certain categories here and there picking the smaller thing the foreign thing you know Emmanuel Riva getting a Best mm-hmm. Actress nomination for Amour a couple years ago you know I, I think that, that there's there's precedent for that um, I Was think it Marion Cotillard last year yeah, yeah, for, same spot. for, for, for the Belgian film yeah, yeah. Um, you know and I, I think that um, you know I think that's really exciting I think it's a good bit of notice for that really good film that I think we all really liked um, that isn't, isn't otherwise not really you know 
a presence here. But yeah, I mean, I think for Best Actor, us getting all of that right is great. But also, everyone got them, all of, all yeah, those five right. I mean, yes. when you looked at the the sort of people, the guys in the running, I mean, those were so the clear five that I don't even I couldn't even think of a sixth. Oh, really. I Michael B. Jordan uh, actually, was the one I was still hoping yeah. for. My personal picks, I had a wild card. I threw Michael Caine in there. Oh, Just sure. Yeah. I thought maybe youth in, in, that, in the yeah. Cranston uh, slot. Yeah. You know? There yeah, was a time that youth looked like, I mean, I, I remember at, starting at Cannes when, when that film screened, everyone was like, you know, Michael Caine. And, and when I made the predictions, I thought that Jane Fonda was still going to get in for Best yeah, Supporting Actress. I was... And I guess that movie just didn't have the the appeal that, uh, that, that it seemed to, that, uh, you know, when I first saw it. Yeah, I was bummed not to get uh, Jane Fonda in there, although I'm elated that Rachel McAdams got in. So I, yeah, I'm that's happy a great, to make that trade. That's a nice surprise. A for that movie, surprise. though? For Spotlight? Yeah, I, I think know. I think Spotlight, everyone in Spotlight is uniformly great. I think singling yeah. out people in the ensemble is really difficult, but you can't. there's no Best Ensemble Oscar prize, and she's the only woman, so she gets an edge. And right. she's deserved better work for a real long time. 2015, her other movies were Southpaw and Aloha, and she was on True Detective Season 2. So really, <sighs> I kind of feel like she Tough. earned Well, we this. also have later on this episode Donald Gleason, who is the star of About Time, and Rachel yes. McAdams is the love interest in that, and she's, she's so good in that. She's great so in that, yeah. I'm going to assume, I'm going to choose to believe that either this is for About Time, uh, a, very, a three years late nomination, yeah. or um, it's that, the Notebook. Well, right, right. carrying yes. a Notebook yeah. in the movie, yeah. well, and that it, reminded everybody of the Notebook. It, it, and yeah. now she got exactly. Nominated. Or there, there is that one scene in Spotlight that Rachel McAdams has with a, a, a great actor named Michael Cyril Creighton, who is playing one of the victims, mm-hmm. and they're kind of walking. They're in a coffee shop in Boston, and then walking through a park, and yeah. you know he's talking about how confusing it was to be gay and have, you know have this terrible experience with this priest. That scene is, I think, the strongest emotional scene in the movie. Mm. And while McAdams isn't the one doing the kind of giving of the emotion in that scene. She is so present in it and so good. I'm 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 choosing to believe that that one very I think important scene is sort of what pushed her over the top. I think she's dominated for Morning Glory personally, but you know we oh, each have sure. a, we all have our own favorite Rich McAdams <laughs> yeah. uh, romantic movie. Well, it's and true. how about Mark Ruffalo topping out Michael Keaton? Yeah, who, and, and we had discussed that like if I Michael know. Keaton gets in, I he know. could win, but he could easily not get in. Yeah. I I do think you know for a movie that is very light on business and heavy on kind of incredibly naturalistic performances it's sort of funny Mark Ruffalo is doing more business doing the most, than anybody yeah. else yeah. in a way that maybe isn't quite as naturalistic as the rest of the movie so I don't know if it's my favorite you know way that that broke but he's amazing and everybody's yeah. great in it but when I went to that spotlight lunch a couple weeks ago uh, Keaton actually was talking about how good Ruffalo is in the movie and yeah. was saying in particular not that the Academy voters necessarily would know this but like the kind of physical work that Ruffalo does that we don't necessarily know. It, it's just if you meet this real reporter, yeah, it's like Ruffalo's doing something incredible that's very, you know, mimicry, but also making it his own. So I think there's maybe a lot of fine detail in there that made Ruffalo's the more sort of... And actors might have read yeah, that and exactly. noticed that. Well, exactly. also, if you look at him in, in Foxcatcher and then in this, in both cases, he's he's becoming, embodying somebody who no one really knows what they're like. But I think he does do the work. And I mean, they're yeah. very different. Characters and you oh, see totally. them compared to like him in The Kids Are All Right, which was his first nomination. Like yeah. they're all really different. And he's kind of known as this like really personable, kind of shaggy haired guy who's famous. I mean, as the Hulk, he's kind of just Mark Ruffalo. But these different performances really show you what he can he's do. He's a lovely guy and uh, and started in the stage and he yeah. does all that good stuff for charity and everything. I mean, you can't. Loves there's Bernie nothing Sanders. to argue. Lives with. upstate. I mean, he's yeah. just yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's he's, a lot he going hates for. fracking. He hates yeah. fracking. Yeah. If there's uh, anything he hates. So that Kate Winslet nomination happened, which we even three days ago said we weren't even sure it was going to happen. I, I thought it would happen. I didn't think that 
I don't think she'll win. No. But what I'm I'm sort of surprised and a little disappointed in is that Vikander, Elisa Vikander, was nominated for Danish Girl and not for Ex Machina. Yeah. I thought that Ex Machina, which did get a visual effects nomination, and which is another, really cool. I think it got two. I need to check um, on that while you talk. That, you know, I, I not that, the, you know, she's wonderful in the Danish Girl, but I think that Ex Machina just was such a cool, special film that it, it would have been nice if that had gotten a really big recognition like that. It got a visual effects and screenplay nomination. Uh, and screenplay, that's cool. huge. That's yeah, really great. really big. You know, for Alex Garland, who he also directed, it was his first movie directing it. Like, I'm glad that that movie has a presence. I just wish that Vikander had been in there for it, too. Yeah. Yeah, but the, who is going to win the Best Supporting Actress? It, it's really... I would have said Jennifer Jason Lee, but The Hateful Eight, I mean, no screenplay, yeah. right? Like, like it really didn't get the, the one big combination we thought it would get. Mm-mm. So, I don't know. Maybe not Maybe not her. Maybe Kate Winslet. <laughs> I still don't think... I don't could see that Kate happening. Maybe Rooney Mott. It could it's be so, Alicia Vikander. It could be Alicia Vikander. She's had it a great really year. Could. A lot of people thought that, that at the beginning when that movie came out that this that yeah. she'd win. I think know? that's definitely the most wide open category at this point. I mean, Supporting yeah. Actor is also still kind of crazy, but as we talked about, Sylvester Stallone really seems to be pulling ahead. Yeah, yeah. But supporting actress, like I, really, really, your guess is as good as mine. But but Sylvester Stallone could also have the Eddie Murphy nomination. Hmm. Um, you and know, they're like, we can't go quite that far and nominate you. Right, right. You know, like like we love you. You're a veteran of the industry. It's kind of crazy that you're being nominated for an acting award this far in your career. But uh, we're not. We can't really. So you know. then, well, Mark Rylance could definitely take that yeah. uh, on the same th- everything we said about Mark Ruffalo, except yeah. for being upstate and hating fracking. <laughs> well, we don't know. Mark <laughs> we don't know. He might hate fracking. Or yeah. maybe they love the Revenant so much it's Tom Hardy. That yeah. would be that would be surprising. crazy. It yeah. would be well, surprising. It would be awesome. He's also in, in Mad Max, which got the second most nominations. Like he is yeah. the most of. He is in the most popular movies. I think what is kind of cool if you look at that supporting actor roster is that the Academy really does appreciate like badass, crazy actors yeah. who just go there. You well, know what I mean? Villains, Christian Bale. Villains keep winning in the supporting acting category every year. Well, and remember we kept thinking, everyone thought at the beginning that Steve Carell was going to get nominated for the big short. And then and all, the, all the kind of Oscar bloggers were like, Steve Carell, Steve Carell. And then when the voters started weighing in, it's just like, no, 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 take another look. It's Christian Bale with that crazy performance all alone in the room with the air drumming to death metal. You know, and I mean, he is like a madman actor. Tom Hardy's a complete madman. Gotta love him. Mark Rylance, a really, and Mark Rylance in the Ruffalo in the kind of, in the kind of like, uh, yeah. By the way, if Rylance gets to do, can you tell people what Rylance does when he wins awards? Because it's the coolest. Well, when he's won, I think, I believe he's won two Tonys. Um, Each time he won, he just sort of came up and without sort of any context, just recited these very strange little poems (laughs) and then just said thank you and walked off the stage. If 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 memory serves me. It's funny, the supporting categories usually are sort of the ones that we kind of know Mm -hmm. months out what's going to win. And I think this this year it's wide open. Leo's going to win Best Actor. Yep. I don't think we have to worry about that. Brie Larson will win. Brie Larson's going to win Best Actor. Oh, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here between now and the Oscars for Brie Larson and yeah. if Saoirse and Kate Blanchett keep trying to make a run for it. I, I also think Brie Larson is by far the edge, but I think people are going to fight for it. Yeah, I mean, what, a couple of years ago, it was what, Meryl Streep won the Golden Globe, Viola Davis won the SAG, yeah. when it was The Help versus uh, um, Iron Lady. Iron Lady, yeah. You know, so there still could be some variance there, but um, I don't know. I just think that momentum's on her side, on Brie Larson's yes. side. Do you remember how Alice wasn't always in Wonderland? She fell down, 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 deep in a hole. Right, well, I wasn't always in room. I'm like Alice. I was a little girl named Joy. Nah. And and I lived in a house with my mom and my dad. You would call them grandma and grandpa. What house? A house. It was in the world. 
And there was a backyard, and we had a hammock. We would swing in the hammock, and we would eat ice cream. A TV house? No, Jack, a real house, not TV. Are you even listening to me? When I was a little older, when I was 17, I was walking home from Where school. Where was I? You were still up in heaven. But there was a guy, he pretended that his dog was what sick. What guy? Old Nick. We call him Old Nick. I don't know what his real name is. But he pretended his dog was sick. What's the dog's name? Jack, there wasn't a dog. He was trying to trick me. Okay? There wasn't a dog. Old Nick stole me. I want a different story. No, this is the story that you get. Before we move on, a word from our sponsor. The 21st Annual Critics' Choice Awards is on A&E, and it includes the biggest names in television and film from this year. Hosted by comedian T.J. Miller from Silicon Valley and Deadpool, the night is going to be a sophisticated event with T.J. bringing irreverent comedy at its best. Imagine left of center and expect the unexpected. What makes this show stand out is that it's critics who choose the winners. They are the tastemakers. The CCAs are the night to honor the best of the best in TV and film. Mad Max leads all nominations, and Star Wars The Force Awakens is nominated for Best Picture. See which film wins the top prize and which actor walks away with the wind. Some nominees include Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant and Charlize Theron for Mad Max Fury Road. For TV, Fargo leads all the nominations. Tune in live January 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for the biggest night in Hollywood, the Critics' Choice Awards, hosted by T.J. Miller on A&E. So going down into some of the technical categories, is there anything that uh, particularly excited you guys? Let's and- talk about adapted screenplay. <laughs> okay, Mike is gloating because <laughs> oh, well, you go an original too because Quentin Tarantino had an original screenplay and didn't and get nominated. Original and uh, Aaron Sorkin missing in Aaron adapted Sorkin. screenplay. Your bet um, noir. You know, he is a very accomplished screenwriter and probably the most famous screenwriter in America. But I think that's why everybody was assuming he was going to get nominated for Steve Jobs, which is which I think was a valiant effort that didn't work. And I thought that it was it was reassuring that people are actually watching the movies to me and thinking critically about them when, you know, other more, I think, deserving people got nominated. So you got Drew Goddard, who was here with us uh, a few weeks ago for The Martian. You got Nick Hornby for Brooklyn, which is a really nice screenplay, kind of understated screenplay. The guys for The Big Short, Carol, Room, those are all really good movies. Yeah. Yeah, and Nick Hornby's nice because he did a great script for Wild as well. Mm -hmm. And he's just had this great sort of second or third act in his writing career where he's been doing these wonderful adaptations of books about women. You know, I think it's, I don't know. He was nominated for an education. An education, that's right. Yeah, there's like a humility after all the kind of high fidelity, fun, swaggery stuff. It's It's an interesting kind of left Mm -hmm. turn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about Phyllis Naj for Carol. I think that that is well deserved. You know, I think that. What was spoken about her and about Price of Salt, especially when she won the New York Film Critics Circle Award, about how sort of this delicate balance of of adapting and making it your own. Uh, Tony Kushner introduced her. It was really quite something. So that's great. I'm Emma Donahue for Room. I'm a little surprised. I've read her book, and I think that the book is really interesting and intricate. And, and I and I don't I don't know that she brought the best version of her own book forward in that movie for that mm. script, but it seems to have have worked for for the voters. So I wonder if it was helped by the kind of interesting structure, right? Especially basically the first half. Yeah, 
is sort of like, all right, set yourself up with an almost impossible dramatic challenge. Yeah. And she pulled it off. And even if the second half kind of is not as amazing as the first. Well, that's what everyone said about Gone Girl last year. And then it didn't get nominated for Gillian Flynn adapting her own book. So kind of seeing Emma Donahue get in there is like, okay, so we're not just punishing female novelists who adapt right. their own work. <laughs> right, right. Thank God. Oh, um, we are, Katie. We are. Well, and we, uh, I, I think we got to talk about Straight Outta Compton, which got its one nomination in uh, Best Original the, Screenplay. Yeah, for and, a bunch of white writers. I well, mean, congratulations to them. Yeah, well, uh, and, you know, Straight Outta Compton, we thought could have been in the Best Picture category. I think it very much to the shot. If you get this screenplay nomination out of nowhere, people would definitely voting for you elsewhere but yeah. it definitely is a surprising place to see that movie pop up yeah i was going to ask you guys what you think about like why why is it there why is that it's it's nomination because uh, the script of that of that movie is it has to hit a lot of beats in history and and it's it is intricate in terms of yes. these relationships between this group of guys it's a lot of like feuds that are kind of hard to pick through and a yeah. lot of like disputed history yeah and i i mean i think that writing those kind of biopics it's deceptively difficult you yes. know so obviously there's a degree of difficulty there but but when i think about what's good about straight out of compton i think it's more, it's more the performances it's more the kind of propulsion of the directing yeah, like the it, energy, it, yeah um, yeah. yeah well that's why the best ensemble sag prize i think is the best award this film could get because yeah. like, that really does seem to be honoring what is great about Straight Outta Compton. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's just like, wait, if, people, if you like this movie, like this is a spot. But, but, you know, it's the screenwriters branch voting. So you can't say it's like some sound mixer who loved it, who did that because they didn't. Right. That's not work. If it wins, then you know that that's the affection. I don't think it'll win, though. Yeah, I I mean, it is. it does seem like a shaggy script in comparison to what you usually expect here, which is some sort of perfect jewel box. But maybe, you know, professional screenwriters... <laughs> Who are veterans looked at it and were like, it "That's not easy." You know, yeah. a lot of stakeholders in that yeah. film. Is this the uh, is this place to talk about how white the rest of the nominees are? Yeah, let's talk about it. I mean, you know, I don't think anyone's surprised, but I think we were certainly holding out hope. I was holding out hope that Michael B. Jordan would defy everyone's predictions and sneak in there. We awesome to have seen Ryan Coogler. Uh, Idris Elba stood a pretty good shot at supporting actors. Idris still. Elba was in the in the conversation all along. Yeah. I mean, you know, it feels like to me. I hate to say it. The the bias of Oscar voters, and I'm not saying that they're that they are actively racist, but I think that you know it's 92, 94 percent white and very very heavily men and older and people who work in the industry because that's who gets in. But to me, the bias is there when you see something like Brian Cranston. You know, Trumbo, that's fine, that's a nice movie. Brian Cranston's obviously a genius it's about actor, Hollywood. but it's about Hollywood. It's about old Hollywood, and. It's just a little frustrating when you see something like what Idris Elba did for Beasts of No Nation or what what Michael B. Jordan did, the physicality of that performance, the daring of the whole thing. You know, yeah. it's just a bummer. It, 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 but look, that's what it is. It's 6,000, you know, people who are old-timey showbiz people. And for me, I mean, you know, forget the Hollywoodness of Trumbo or whatever. Honestly, the performance I would cross out and to put to write Michael B. Jordan in there is is Redmayne. I I, mm, I, yeah. I think that the Danish girl, his performance in that is is technical to the point of too fussy. It's too you know, and I think that um, I understand that there it, the the Danish girl represents something you know good about progressive progressive politics and and you know all that. So I'm not unhappy to see it there, but I think that. 
that Michael B. Jordan was doing something a lot more soulful and thoughtful and 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 really kind well, of and human. The Danish Girl feels like a like an Oscar submission more than a movie, right? Yeah. I hate to say it, but yeah. Well, this is the uh, this is the second time that Michael B. Jordan has had Oscar buzz for Frivial Station. It was that was a much smaller movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so now he's gonna he's gonna be kind of a version of Leo where everyone just wants him to get nominated finally. Yeah. So he's Which gonna is be good. That's that how it way. works. He'll get his. Time. I just and hope Michael he gets Fassbender the movies. had that yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not it's not just uh, you know a racial thing. It's also a youth bias. I mean, we, mm-hmm. you know, sure. I, that's sure. why Especially I had Michael Caine down. It's like we you expect them to give it to the person. 20 years after they were relevant. Yeah, they've got three women under the age of 30 nominated for Best Actress. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you can just tell. It's just old guys. Yeah. They're like hot young women and old guys who look like them. Well, Eddie Redmayne's like 31. Yeah. But that's... I think the tricky thing is, he's. I think he's 33. Agent. <gasps> <laughs> uh, I think the tricky thing for Michael B. Jordan versus someone like DiCaprio, you know, in, in terms of career and, and building up momentum for an Oscar win, is that the roles just aren't there for, for black men the way that they are for guys mm-hmm. like Leonardo DiCaprio. So I just hope that He's kept in the conversation, you know, long enough, and you know, I hope that he just keeps getting work, and you know, and he'll he'll get there if he keeps getting well, the roles. But you're absolutely right. I th- Mark Harris had a very strong series of tweets today. Mark Harris, the writer, who um, is one of the smarter people on all these topics, and he said, you know, well, what he said was, feel bad for these men who should have been considered who are African American, and then feel bad that I can't do a list of women. And and the reality is that there aren't enough movies being made with multicultural casts that are good. And, And when people, and there aren't enough, like, I mean, I think probably we'd all agree, there aren't enough movies being made that are good because Hollywood is in a little bit of a crisis and basically if they can't make $100 million in China, they're not making the movie. Right unless they think they can get some awards buzz that justifies the expense. So there's a small number of these prestige movies being made, and they're and they're generally made as, like, passion projects for well-connected white people. And I think that's why The Revenant is being pushed back against by certain people, because it just seems so in this, to fit that bill of sort of just, like, it's for this very core group of Oscar voters and doesn't really invite many other people into that except that it had uh, a, a mexican director and that's true. does that's have true. a multicultural cast at least in some of the supporting i mean we can have an yeah. argument about how the native americans were portrayed and it's also made making a lot of money so it's actually a, a, a movie that's being seen yeah it's a yeah it's this is well every year the oscars come and we talk about oscars so white and we try to figure out you know what the bias is in the academy but it's a bias in the academy it's a bias in the industry it's like this overarching problem that the oscars are able to highlight every single year and then it's so big that no one can ever figure out what to do about it but i think what's frustrating is when a movie like creed comes through Mm -hmm. you just think come on guys or like with selma you know like like let's encourage these awesome movies that are multicultural instead of just indulging your biases which you know, maybe understandable. You're an old white guy. You like old white guy things, but like try a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Back to Michael B. Jordan yeah. for just one second. Watching uh, Denzel Washington's reel at the Golden Globes when he got the tribute, I was like, okay, that career is available to Michael B. Jordan. Like we don't have a yes. Denzel Washington right now. He's not working that much. Get get that career going for him. And then Denzel in the 90s, Denzel Washington was doing literally everything he wanted to. So yeah, and he's been can, he's got two Oscars. Yeah. So if if Michael B. Jordan can uh, can get that ball rolling, we'll all be better off for it. Uh, what else for down the line categories? I think we got to talk about original song. 
Um, <laughs> Lady Gaga. Oscar nominee Lady Gaga. How about that? I mean, she's going to win now, right? Because the, oh, uh, the Fury and Seven and come in. The song is bad. Oh, Sorry, come on, folks. guys. Where is your. And she's nominated it's with Diane Warren an eight times. It's Diane Warren. I mean, yeah, I it's not a bad song. And actually, and you know what? I will say, aside from the Gaga factor, that the, the movie The Hunting Ground is getting some recognition, even in a sort of song category, I think is great. You know, that's a really scary fascinating documentary about um, sexual assault on college campuses and um, it well worth atten- getting attention. But can you imagine the speech that Lady Gaga will give? <laughs> oh my God. I, I just can't, just I mean, I can't her, wait. Her Golden Globe speech was like, so overwhelmed yeah. and happy and those, those words make no sense and like, this is an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Well, she said, when she won the Golden Globe, she said, this is the greatest moment of my life and I was like, you, winning best song or best, 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 <laughs> best uh, actress in a, in a mini series at, yeah. a Golden, at the Golden Globes is the greatest <laughs> moment of your life. She has a lot of Grammys too. Yeah. Like she's won real awards. Yeah, well, the Grammys. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, that song is such a crazy uh, Sam Smith for his sort of dirge like James Bond song. Yeah. Um, and then Fifty Shades of Grey, that, that, that should be a fun performance anyway. Um, is that an Ellie Goulding song? I believe That's so. Ellie Goulding, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So, All yeah. Right, yeah. That's a good song. I like that one. Just just remember how how good we had it when Pharrell did Happy and he danced with Meryl Streep in the audience and like that was such a great was time cute. for original yeah. song and then yeah. it's all been down. <laughs> well, just then. do like a greatest hits of Oscars of Oscar best songs. <laughs> oh God. well, yeah, Hard Out Here for a Pimp. That was a fun uh, year. That was amazing. Elliot Smith looking terrified yeah. <laughs> to be performing Miss yeah. Misery. Yeah. On, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Amy Mann got up there sometimes. It's uh, been it's been good. When when the youth song Simple Song Number Three is performed, that everyone who's not seen that movie is going to be like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's very confusing. I hope they bring out the interpretive dancers again yeah. for that. Just yeah. I actually really do like that song. Me too. It's yeah. really very yeah. good. Well, it was funny when I saw it at Cannes, uh, a lot of people got up and walked out and I was like, guys, this whole movie has been building <laughs> yeah. towards the movie. Well, it's song. the credits. I, mean, I know the credits are rolling, but come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, of all the songs on the list, I haven't seen, so, uh, I don't know how, I haven't seen The Hunting Ground or Racing Extinction, but uh, it definitely fits into the narrative of the movie better. Yeah. Maybe maybe the, it, they'll they'll wait to perform it till the end when the when the after Chris Rock signs off for the night and then <laughs> and now youth yeah well this if I am going to see all the nominated films which I was kind of thinking I might do this year this means I do have to finally see Fifty Shades of Grey and it also means you have to see the hundred year old man who climbed yeah. out a window and disappeared can we uh, can we give a yet another shout out to Joe Reed for being right about everything oh did and, he predict uh, he that wrote, he wrote a whole post yesterday saying this is going to be that movie that oh, everyone's going to say what yeah, uh, he's so good. I know because they yeah. love old age makeup and the makeup. Remember when uh, Bad Grandpa, the uh, not, right. no, 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 Dirt, no, Dirty Grandpa's the Zac Efron one that's about to come out. Bad, Bad Grandpa's Grandpa the Jackass ju- movie. Yeah, Johnny Axel. So anyway, yeah. yeah, they love old age, old age makeup. But that's why you know I, I I predicted that category for us, and I had put Black Mass in there because that's mm-hmm. old age makeup sort yeah, of. I know, I know. Um, but you know, hey, hey, how about Black Mass completely blank? Completely blanked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't say I'm that surprised. Oh, I was surprised about makeup, but um, I, the, the the Johnny Depp buzz. Hung in there for a long time until people yeah. kind of just gave up when I think the initial rounds of awards. Is there anything else out. that got totally blanked that we were kind of thinking? Like Sicario made it in in a couple categories. Yeah, surprisingly, they that. got in for score, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, it's a really good. There's a lot of score. Bram in that score. There's a man. lot of yeah, yeah, and who yeah. knows? Like maybe I know Lubezki might not win three in a row, and maybe this is Deacons' year. I know we say that every year, but he's nominated for Sicario. He's never won an Oscar for cinematography. Well, yeah. I I. Mm-hmm. I, I interviewed him briefly at one of those luncheons mm-hmm. and he was a very nice guy and I asked him I was like I have to ask you the question about the Oscars <laughs> and he was like well the only reason I'm concerned about it is because people keep asking me if I'm concerned about it <laughs> so he doesn't care but um, I would be happy to see him win are, are Hateful Eight's only two nominations for cinematography and supporting actors and score and score Wait, okay. where I still think any of them is going to win yeah 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 
Yeah. Uh, you're probably right about that. Even though, uh, you know, Carter Broyles' score for Carol, as we discussed, is pretty amazing. It yeah. is. Another category that I think threw everyone from loop, if even if you, just by judging from the gasps kind of in the room where they announced the nominations, was animated feature. Yes. Um, because, you know, we we knew Inside Out was going to get there and it'll probably win. And Anna Melissa. Melissa yeah. Sean the Sheep got, you know, was really well reviewed, really kind of liked niche movie. Yeah. But the other two, Boy in the World and When Marnie was there, I don't know how many people's radars either of those were on. Well, when Marnie was there, I believe it's the final feature from Studio Ghibli, which right. has at least been nominated a bunch of times. I'm not sure yeah. if they've ever won in this category. But, yeah, there's definitely some I had to Google Boy in the World. It looked pretty cool. Yeah. I yeah. mean, everyone thought it was going to be the Peanuts movie. I, that's what I put down. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I thought that maybe Good Dinosaur, good dinosaur. could be a swing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that, you know, again, this is an example of the Academy wanting to stretch their sort of like, we, we can reach a little deeper into the cinematic, you know, oeuvre of the year. Which is and good, that's right? Good. That's, yeah, why they, yeah. that's why they actually, that's why sometimes you're glad they actually do the nominations instead of just reading everybody's same predictions right. after a while that get a little lazy and cynical. Yeah. So there were a few of those in here where it was like, oh, good, all right. They do, they yeah, do I mean, know the what do- they're talking about. The documentary about. category, What Happened, Miss Simone? I love movie. seeing What Happened, Miss Simone. Um, and like Winter on Fire, which is a Netflix doc. Uh, I believe What Happened... Miss Simone was as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. So they have two. And like some people were concerned Look of Silence wouldn't get in there because it's a tough watch about Indonesian yeah. genocide. But, you know, I mean, Amy may still win and that movie's great too. But I loved Amy. I yeah, there's so a little good. bit of variety in there. So uh, I guess overall, like to wrap this up, like what, what are you excited about? Like what are you glad is in the competition here that, you know, might have been a surprise or just, you know, it, when you look at it and be like, oh, best picture, best Oscar nominee blank. Oh, like now that they have that before yeah, their name. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm really excited about Saoirse Ronan. I think that this is the start of a wonderful... I mean, she's already had a long career. She's already been nominated for an Oscar before. Yeah. But I think that this being her first, I think, truly grown-up adult role in Brooklyn, I think that... And she's so good in it. Like, yay. Like, I, I think that yeah. that'll be fun to see that continue. I, I think it's great that Mark Rylance is now a movie actor. I mean, he's been around for a long time. He's yeah. been, I mean, I hope he doesn't leave the stage and I don't think he will. He's I, fantastic. He seems kind of indifferent toward he's movies. doing like a little touring show that's going to Boston. My oh, really? parents are going to go see Ooh. it. Yeah, so they're, my mother was like, this is the man from Bridge of Spies and he's coming to Boston. I mean, <laughs> so she's very parents excited about that. Parents love Bridge of Spies. Yeah, and you know, I, even though I don't necessarily think that this is my favorite performance of hers, I, I am happy that Rachel McAdams is, you know, after the um, unfortunate whammy of True Detective season two early, early last year. Um, yeah. Or, or I guess it was this summer, wasn't it? It was year, the middle yeah. of last year. Jeez. Right um, after Aloha and right before South Pole. That's right. So after a kind of bumpy first half of, of yeah. 2015, she eats it out in the end. Just remember, good. Kate Winslet won for the reader. Like, there is no... Oscars are sometimes not a meritocracy. No, it's true. It's <laughs> Even true. though that is literally the definition of what they are. Um, I'm just... I wanted to just like step back and realize that Mad Max as a Best Picture nominee is crazy and amazing and like yeah. proof that yeah. anything can happen and not just the best picture nominee but one that has all yeah. the all the tools to win like, possibly what, like, now just i'm just so glad it happened who would have guessed like even when like you know i think Richard, yeah. you saw it at Cannes and like no i saw it with you but right before oh, yeah, I that's left. right yeah. and like yeah. but like seeing that being like wow this movie's amazing yeah. what in the world's going to happen to it and not only is it a hit it's a best picture nominee like yeah. that's great uh, that that something can go from an, an, an incredible first trailer and then just sort of consistently deliver yeah. based on yes. that for like a year. I think that's yeah. really cool. Well, don't hate me, but I'm kind of psyched that Tom Hardy is an Oscar. I hate. Now. Listen, we are, that's I am Team cool. Revenant, yeah. and I get judged by a lot of people. I think I'm the only non-Team Revenant person in this room. <laughs> like, you so. don't hate it. 
Ugh. I mean, okay. I don't hate it. No. <laughs> I don't hate it. I didn't hate it. But and the more it sort of gets, I was going to say, I feel like when we talked about it. it, we were generally yeah. pro revenant. Yeah, it's it. kind of like how you know, if you, I, I, I thought that the. Um, the imitation game last year was fine. Uh-huh. And then the more nominations for things it got, the more and more I didn't like it. You know, yeah. so well, I, it has something yeah. happened with Birdman. And you read these yeah. movies, I think, all go through this. Because they're all so yeah. serious and so, like, look at me and the cinema I am yeah. making that it's really easy to kind of check out. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't, I'm enjoying being a, uh, uh, not cynic, but just, you know, going against the tide and liking The Revenant. Give in and enjoy The Revenant. Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, is for me, Adam McKay, I love the idea that they did welcome him into the club yeah. and that he is going to get to make lots more interesting movies that take advantage of his you know, skills as a comedy guy but can sort of unleash more creativity and intelligence. So I'm, I'm psyched about yeah, that. Yeah, I think the welcoming into the club thing, like we see a little bit of it happen every year, like uh, the year that Michael Haneke and Ben Zeitlin both got nominations in Best Director. Like yeah. If DuVernay didn't get nominated, so being a white guy obviously helps, but you know, there's the, it's definitely opening up. The, the Academy is getting younger. It's getting more diverse slowly so there are things like that possible where you can be like oh I don't care if you're the guy who made Step Brothers you made a movie that we really like yeah before we move on a word from our sponsor this episode of Little Gold Men is sponsored by Squarespace.com if you wanted to start your own Oscar blog and compete with the likes of Gold Derby and VanityFair.com, you could. With Squarespace, you can make sites that look professionally designed regardless of your skill level with coding. There is no coding required, in fact. It has intuitive and easy-to-use tools, and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code GOLDMEN, G-O-L-D-M-E-N, to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build it beautiful. And now here's our conversation with Donald Gleason, star of The Revenant, Ex Machina, Star Wars, and Brooklyn. I'd forgotten what this. You have beaches in Brooklyn? Yes, but they're just very crowded. There'll probably be quite a few walkers along here later. Yes. It's still not the same. I'm sure it's not. We don't really know anything of the rest of the world. We must seem very backward to you now. Of course not. You seem calm and civilized and charming. Donald Gleason, thank you for joining us. Uh, like, thank did you for I pronounce the name right, right? You nailed it. It was perfect. I, I thank learned you. it really recently. I learned how wrong I'd been doing it, and then you I think you said it rhymes with tonal, and I was like, oh. Easy. That's I, just like the light went on. Yeah, and somebody told me tonal will be too difficult for some people. They won't know that <laughs> word. Go for donut. But I think that results in a different thing. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Saoirse Ronan's also been on a roll, I think, uh, telling people how to pronounce her name. So. Yeah, it's become a thing. Yeah. It's become a thing. You guys are yeah. getting very good. Well, we brought you in to talk about everything that you're in this year. I mean, you, you can, The Revenant is the one that's out right now, but mm. Ex Machina, Star Wars, Brooklyn, and The Revenant all out last year. I just kind of wanted to start, and this is a kind of boring question, but I'm very curious. What order did these get filmed in? The really sad truth is I can't remember. <laughs> I, I, I actually don't know. I, uh, I think probably Brooklyn first. Okay. No. Maybe Ex Machina, then Brooklyn, then Star Wars and Revenant. I know it was I know Brooklyn and Ex Machina were before Star Wars and the Revenant, but I don't know which order around they were. Okay. And the know. Revenant was broken up too, right? Because you had to go to Argentina to I didn't it. have to go oh, to Argentina. Go. Okay. No, but it was broken up because so I was like seven months was the period of time that I was involved with production on that. But in the middle of that I two months I did a play in Ireland. So mm-hmm. this time last year I was doing a play in Dublin with my father and my brother. So that was right in the middle of the shoot of the Revenant. Did you keep your facial hair for that play? I was not allowed because oh. I was playing women. 
uh, oh, or wow. playing a man who was playing a lot of women in it and so that the beard had to go that was part of the complex negotiations of whether <laughs> I would do the Revenant or not <laughs> if you were allowed to shave your beard yeah going back to, so you wore a fake beard when you went back to the Revenant no I didn't have to that was what was brilliant because they shot in sequence oh that's right and at right, that yeah. point and my he, guy had gotten back to, to the, the fort to the mm-hmm. fort and so actually right. a lot of guys would have been clean shaven at that time right. apparently the native ladies preferred a clean shaven man and so oh. a lot of guys used to shave but also a lot of guys had beards so it was fine oh yeah I think everyone looks better a little bit cleaned up in that movie so do you think I don't know a like, little bit cleaned up well you're, you're so yeah, relieved yeah. when you get to the fort you're just like oh civilization and everyone's I know and if that's civilization you're like what the hell have I been yeah. living through the rest of the time yeah we felt the same way because the rest of the time like we felt that exact same uh, relief when we started shooting in the fort because yeah. we'd been out in like craziness for months and months and months. So it was really, wow, a roof over our heads Walls. and candlelight instead <laughs> yeah. of just yeah. impending darkness. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So when did you realize w- that all of these movies, these four huge, great movies were coming out in the same year? Was that sort of a slowly dawning realization or was there like a day when you kind of looked at the calendar and... I realized that Revenant and Star Wars were coming out close to each other pretty early on, I think. And then uh, Brooklyn was a surprise because Brooklyn kind of being right up against those two was odd because Brooklyn actually premiered in in Sundance Mm -hmm. in January, like a whole year ago. Yeah, I was at that premiere. Yeah, Yeah, uh, I was not because I was doing the play, I believe. Right. But so, yeah, so that was was kind of a shock or whatever. And it is strange. It is strange, you know. But uh, yeah, and then I think Ex Machina was out on DVD or whatever the hell they call it these days. (laughs) Whatever has replaced DVDs, uh, illegal streaming, uh, uh, like around the same time. So yeah, it just ended up being an intense uh, few months of publicity, which is not what you think of as the work. Which, right. So that's extra mm. weird. Right. Yeah. And, and Brooklyn premiered like a month after Unbroken. Or premiered at Sundance like a month while Unbroken was still in theaters. So it's like it really just never stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Unbroken <laughs> came out, I guess, while December I was doing The Revenant mm-hmm. and the play. So, yeah. So for a year, it's been really weird things backed up against each other. They're all so different that like going from talking about one to talking about another is very strangely mm-hmm. complicated, you know. And uh, and then obviously I'm doing work in, the, in between has been... Uh, yeah. Odd. But now, your, your Anna Karenina and Ex Machina co-star, Alicia Vikander, is, has also had a huge year with a lot of movies released. Yeah. Is that something you guys have touched base on and sort of compared notes on? Or <laughs> We've talked, yeah. sure. I mean, you know, not about that so much. I got a very, very nice text off Alicia a couple of days ago. She'd seen Brooklyn and was lovely about it, as she always is about everything and very supportive. And, um, and I'm waiting. I haven't seen The Danish Girl yet, so I'm, okay. I'm looking forward to seeing that. That's the big one of hers this year that I'm super excited about but yeah we keep in touch like I think she's one of the very special ones there's a few yeah there's a few actors around at the moment who are just really really special Saoirse's one Alicia certainly another Kerry Mulligan you know like there's these people who just always excited to see what they do and Alicia's one of those absolutely but she has that voracious appetite for creating new characters that I just find really exciting yeah. you know she's able to do all that work because she's able to change what she does enough that it remains compelling mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, so she's very special I was always, when uh, watching Star Wars I was very curious if you and Oscar Isaac at all saw each other while you were making the movie because I don't think you share a scene the, the very first scene oh, that and I the, did in it was that interrogation it, I mean, scene? Like, yeah Adam walks out of a room Okay. And for, with Oscar and starts talking to me. Okay. And we were on set. There was one shot which linked us, I think, but they didn't use it. You know, they, they cut into it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we were on set that day. And I think that may have been 
that or the speech was like my first day so that was kind of a, that was an odd one it so, was funny so but we you, saw each other at the table read so that was okay. weird yeah because I, I want to know how the Ex Machina reunion if you had a chance to even be like holy shit we've wound up in Star Wars after making this weird robot movie it was odd and it was also in Pinewood mm, as well oh, yeah. so like when we did the table read I didn't know who else was going to be there so you come in and like I, I was I don't I wasn't late but there was some kind of hold up with traffic and everything so when I got there I was like holy god Oscar's here you know like we were like we were here doing a sci-fi like three months ago two months ago so that was that was odd and that's that famous table read photo right the one that they released with everyone sitting in the circle and the chairs yes and a man who may or may not be me with his back to camera yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. they yeah. sent around like a framed photo of it and I was like oh good not my head good just, just glue a little photo of yourself on, on yeah exactly on the I'm looking around at the camera right. yeah. so you say that your first day on set was that speech. I assume the big kind of triumph of the will speech you're talking about. Yeah, that was I your first day. I, it was either that or the one in the corridor. They were both mm-hmm. close enough together, and uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That speech is intense, though. Like, how does that go when it's your first day on? Uh, it must have been a gigantic set, and you're delivering like that tone is. You have to really nail that tone for have that be that specific character. It was good, you know. I think JJ had that influence the rest of the character in the film too. I, you know, I think that desire for power. It was fun, you know. I think those things have to be. Star Wars is for adults, but it's also for like you have to. It's also for kids. Like you got to create something. I think which is like, um, you know who he is. You know Kylo Ren. You've got that. Uh, you know what's going on with him exactly. You know when he's with. I don't give any spoilers or whatever, but there's goodness in there. It seems maybe as mm-hmm. well as all the darkness. I don't know. And uh, whereas I think Hooks seems more clearly to have decided he wants power, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know that's all he's interested in and that was really good fun they had loads of stormtroopers there so there was a sense of giving a speech to a lot of people which made it a lot easier than just a green screen and uh, shouting as loud as you yeah, can. Yeah, you, like, you know, have to <laughs> shout in that scene. <laughs> yeah, so that was, so was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. I, I actually really, really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that day. Did you base Hux on any particular, like, Star Wars, like, st- stuff shirt from the past? Like, Grand Moff Tarkin is the one a lot of people compare him to, but was yeah, it based he on occupies, Hitler or... I think he occupies similar territory to Tarkin, but, I mean, obviously what's different is the fact that he's much younger. And mm-hmm. I, I think I think if you get that high, that young in a regime, which is obviously pretty ruthless anyway, it just means you've probably basically cut a lot of throats to get there. And I think that's what I found interesting about him. I'm sure... Uh, he could he could be too young or he could be too kind of, you know, bad, you know, evil or whatever for some people's taste. But to me, that's what makes him interesting, yeah. you know. And I think that's why J.J. went. They could easily have gone with somebody closer in age to Tarkin, but they decided to go as some, you know, my age, exactly. <laughs> There's this vibe between him and uh, Kylo Ren that's like kind of these like younger brothers who are trying to compete to get dad's attention, like Snoke being dad. And they're like standing in the room and it's like, no, you get out of the way. I, I don't know, I didn't know yeah. if that was in the script or if that was what you guys like when you and Adam kind of get together. Yeah, I think you. part of that developed. But I mean, also it became clear that one wasn't totally in charge of the other. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there, There's a strange power balance there and they're both very good at different things. And the things that they do are so wildly different that if that was all in one person, that might be great. But it's in two different people. And I think that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. Two you different know? people who kind of want to kill each other sometimes. Yeah. Who want, you know, who want power. Yeah. Who want power. And who want to get, who want to get higher. Certainly in Hooks' case, I wouldn't want to speak for Adam, but like he, he wants to get to the top. Yeah. You know? I like that. You know, I think that you, the, it is interesting that, that the way that Force Awakens kind of does re, you know introduce a new generation of mm. viewers, but also characters? Is that yeah? It would make sense that this Tarkin esque guy is younger, is sort of the the new the new guard, as it were. Yeah, because it rose from the ashes of what went previously as well. You know, they'd have heard all those stories too. Yeah, but they'd have heard a different version. 
Right. You know, I think that's what makes it really interesting. Yeah. You know, the two, the the two sides of this, they they heard history was told differently to both those sets of people. Right. And with the, you know, either with the good force losing or the good force winning, and he's, you know, as far as he's concerned, there were huge mistakes made before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, because maybe they just weren't ruthless enough. Damn it. You know. So right. I quite like that. I quite like right. that. More order and discipline. Is yes. Been, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's what's required. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing on the internet we wanted to ask you about is the emo Kylo Ren Twitter account. Have you seen this at all? Somebody told me about this okay. recently. I've not seen it. I'm all not right. on the Twitter. Hux is in it a lot, so you should uh, you should take. There's a lot of being like Hux told me I really have to listen to this album. They'll understand everything. Or I think Hux told me to read Atlas Shrugged is in there. Like it's it's really dead Alice on. Shrugged. Yeah, like I don't know what that is. Oh, that's the Ayn Rand book where Ayn Rand, where it's you know a lot of teenagers read it and they're like, oh, I'm the most important person in the world and everything needs to be about me. Objectivism and self determination and all that. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's like his kind of material. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's very. Both of them would really like it. Um, To go back to the Revenant, so Leonardo DiCaprio's stories from the set have been just kind of everywhere. Like he's talking about bison liver and sleeping in the animal carcass, and I don't think anyone has to go through as much as he does in that film. But I'm I know you all kind of endured a lot. What's your best facing the elements on the Revenant story? The, it's, I mean, the boring answer is that it's cumulative. Uh, they're, they're, you know, we were like, we were up there, there's a shot on top of this mountain with all these snowy peaks around, and we were up there carrying crap over that mountain, and like that was, those days were ridiculously intense, because there were days which were scenes, and there were days which were travel beats, mm. and the travel beat scenes were brutal. Because you're, you're carrying furs, all, and you're yeah. carrying Leo, and you're going across rivers, you're going through snow, you're going through weird swamps, you're going over mountains, and you're going from wet to dry and back again in the same day, you're going at like minus 30, minus 40, vicious winds and blizzards and all this, like, it was, that for seven months adds up, You, you know, your body pays a price for that. And I remember Chivo saying, you all look so much older at the end of it. And it's like, oh, so do you, Chivo. Uh, but uh, that, that, that was, and that was part of the reason that we shot in sequence. Everybody over seven months does get older. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, everyone gets older over two minutes also. But I mean, <laughs> more markedly so over a period like seven months yeah. or eight months. So there were hard, very, very hard days. And then the mud and the, yeah, the, the mud at the beginning was just like crawling through that every day. Oh, trying to get that the, opening scene. The attack just, scene. Yeah, that yeah. was tough. Yeah, I mean, I mean that attack scene. I think it's out there, like it's been online. So I don't want to not to spoil the movie, but that mm-hmm. scene is so choreographed and orchestrated. And I mean, like, what are you? Do you have an earwig? Do you, how, how do you know no. how to go where you're supposed to go? You rehearse all day, yeah. and you rehearse in the weeks leading up to it. And then when it goes, the conditions change so wildly there, like from hour to hour. It could be wetter, it could be colder, it could be slippier. The puddles, the holes, pothole things could be filling up quicker or emptying out and need to be filled up. Mm-hmm. And then you've got guns, arrows, you've got horses, stuntmen getting hit, people going into the river, like going through this river to a boat, all that stuff. And so it's chaos. But the notion is that there's enough planned that that chaos feels like chaos, which is what it should do. I think when you watch it, you're almost overtaken by just how intense everything is, how immediate everything is around you. And that's because in every footstep there was danger. Of slipping, of going on your ass, of ruining this one you. time. Yeah, of yeah. course. You know, you're, we're wearing moccasins, running around with, go, like, you know, like with. I mean, they're blanks. It's just, a, it's just a thing or whatever going out. But like, there's an element of actual danger going on here, and I think you can really feel that. That's part of the thrill of when you get it right, and part of the devastation when you don't quite get there by light going down, because mm. you do have this hour and a half window to get that stuff. So it was, you know, it was 
really, really difficult and very choreographed. But knowing that it had to be that choreograph to fall apart in front of you, which is kind of what's happening in all of those things, because as I say, people falling all over the place and guns going off and horses, there's so many extra little bits, bits that you cannot control. Yeah. And that's what gives it the fire, I think, you know. So when we watch this, are we watching you both hit your beats and kind of improvise when something lands where it's not supposed to land? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, and again, I think that's part of what makes it special. You you can feel this madness just outside of what you can see on camera. You can feel this madness there, this intensity there, but it's all focused into what we can actually see, mm-hmm. you know. But when people are running by you, you know, you can still feel them there. I think they just did an extraordinary job. Is doing something like Ex Machina, which is sort of the definition of interior, I mean, it's all set in sort of this creepy mansion in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, obviously, The Revenant is a very visceral sort of reactive kind of acting in a scene like that anyway. Mm-hmm. And, but Ex Machina might be a little bit more sort of in the head, in, 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 you know, intellectual. Is there a noticeable difference or is it, are you just drawing sort of different buckets from the same well to, 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 to do a big battle scene or a, a, a tete-a-tete with, with a robot? The whole point is you got to get to the place where it's honest. Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure where that comes from. That's an interesting question. I don't know if it's from the same well. Yeah. I guess it has to be, but yeah, I don't know. When you're dealing with a lot of dialogue, I mean, because there's not a lot of dialogue in The Revenant. And also I'm aware that when I talk about The Revenant, it just sounds... Like, not just a nightmare to make, but also (laughs) a nightmare to watch. watch, And I I, I don't think that's what it is. I watched it for the second time last night, and it felt shorter the second time than even the first time. And the first time I watched it, I couldn't believe its running time. I thought it was a lot shorter than that. You know, like, I do think it's compelling and all the rest of it. With with a film like Ex Machina, that was six weeks as opposed to seven months. So already there's a difference. It was, like, seven-page dialogue scenes. So already there's a huge difference there. And then the conditions are very different. You're in tiny rooms with the heat ramped up so you're just sweating in between takes and trying to get rid of it so when you go you don't look like you're sweating yourself to death <laughs> right. and then there's this this element of psychological torture going on which is the pressure being put on the on my character by everything around him yeah and so that was I found the there was an intensity to that which I would absolutely compare to the intensity experience on The Revenant. They're just hitting you in different ways. They're different kinds of horror movies, I mean, in a way. They are. I yeah. totally agree. I totally agree. And, um, yeah, that's certainly how it felt by the end of it. I was ready for Ex Machina to be done by the time we finished. Like, I don't know how I would have dealt with that if that had been a seven-month shoot. Well, you would have gone crazy and then never left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and on, the, uh, on Ex Machina, too, I mean, you guys were up at this remote hotel in Norway. We wrote an article about the hotel that is the exterior of that building, which mm. is, oh, God, it's I want to go there so badly. But you're kind of off, you know, isolated in the same way that you are making The Revenant. Like, you ha- you're kind of in it the whole time that you're there, even if you're at home. Yeah, although, I mean, like, it was a six-week shoot and four weeks of it was in London. In oh, okay. okay. So, but, but actually, you know, you live by yourself while you're doing those things. You're away from your friends and your family. And you do, you do go into isolation a certain amount. And by the time we got out to Norway, first of all, there were these beautiful, big um, exteriors in it, which were a welcome relief. But you're still there by yourself. I mean, like, you're still... It's you against everybody in that film. And that bled into... Like, we all get on very well. Like, the the people who I made that film with make me laugh as much as anybody I've ever met, really, you know, and and, and so incredibly talented. And I really like their work processes. Um, But there was, like, there was... um, 
yeah, there was an element of what was happening in the film, I think, happening on there. Certainly with me, you know, I think yeah. I pr- probably brought to set a little more than I should have, maybe. So is that why you go, you know, do something like taking a break on The Revenant and go back and do a play with your brother and your dad? Like, just to kind of, like, get away from that isolation and, like, go return to family and also still do work. Like, that sounds kind of like the ideal break. Well, in a way, but then that play was, like, super intense because we were all playing different. Like, we were playing a father and two sons. The father is forcing the two sons to put on a play every day about why they had to leave Ireland when they were children. Wait, what's the play called? Sorry, The Walworth Farce. Okay. I think I think it's, I, I mean, I think it's a masterpiece. And so we're playing all the characters from our lives from when we were younger. So I'm playing my mother, my auntie, the, the, the sexy woman who lived down the road. My brother is playing the male characters. And then we're also playing ourselves and ourselves as children. Mm-hmm. And our father just plays himself because he's this tyrannical right. sort of figure right. who's keeping them in. And then on this one day, the, over the course of this play, so we're seeing the play they're putting on which is a farce. Mm-hmm. But over the course of this play, we, the truth begins to come out about on this particular day, the truth starts coming about why they actually left Ireland. Okay. And so that starts bleeding into the play. So it's happening on all these different levels and the intensity and that was like nuts <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the yeah. like, What was I thinking? Um, so, uh, yeah, the, you know, it wasn't like it was a, like a nice easy break at home. <laughs> That's called a farce. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. are you just, do you just work by nature? Like, are you happiest if you're going from project to project or is this just, did it happen this way and kind of you want a break now? I want it. I want, it's funny. I don't know whether like, you know, you put something out and then you end up getting that thing. I really wanted to go back to back on a few jobs to see if I could do it. One of my favorite actors is Michael Fassbender. He, he's in a similar way to Alicia, actually. He's just able to, like, he's able to go from a job to another job, give something totally different to each one, and almost the work seems to charge him. You know, it's, it seems to charge his batteries as it's going. So, uh, And the change of work seems to just recharge him. And I, I just find that fascinating. I really wanted to try that. And so I gave it a shot, but I wonder if maybe I'm better taking a few weeks off in between and um, really, dis- you know, like really, really doing my prep long term as, mm. oppo- as opposed to um, as opposed to in a different way. Yeah. He does that too, but, you know. Well, and he's got a movie coming up with your dad, which seems really exciting. Which one? I don't know. I don't remember the there's title. There's Trespass but I saw... Against Us and then there's Assassin's Creed. Oh my... Oh, no, I'm thinking of Trespass Against. I saw yeah. a picture of, like, their heads are, like, their foreheads are touching, and it looks very Oh, cool, intense. yeah, It yeah. was an Assassin's Creed. I didn't realize your dad was an Assassin's Creed, too. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and my brother. Oh, God. Yeah. Why, come on, why didn't, <laughs> yeah, why didn't yeah. you get in there? Yeah. Speaking of fathers and sons, I have to say that About Time is one of my favorite recent movies, I think, in the last Thank you. Uh, 10 years or something. <laughs> Actually, oh. I had it my best of the year list two years ago. You know, it was one of those kind of wonderful, warm, kind of tearjerker, but but I think a little bit more thoughtful than your sort of I think so average too. tearjerker. Yeah, I'm happy um, like it. Is there any movie this year that you've seen that has sort of provoked a sort of really kind of profound either tearfulness or elation or anything like that? Like what, like on, on that kind of like, you know, primal level? Bloody hell. I saw, I don't know, if, maybe that was last year, I saw Bally Turk, another play by Enda Walsh that made me think about the way that the world works for a while and I think those moments are very very rare that really made me consider my place in things and mm-hmm. what it what it takes to be happy and the lies you tell yourself to try and be happy but I think maybe that was a year and a half ago and um, in terms of films I've, I've seen lots of st- I mean I've yeah. seen lots of stuff but I uh, I really liked the do- I saw some cool documentaries this year that I thought were pretty cool but you're able to see stuff while you're doing press and filming and all that stuff. You do, you do are able to carve out time to. Yeah, I am able yeah. to carve out time. I'm trying to think, but I'm trying to think because I, I don't just watch the movies from this year. Like you know what I mean? Like I could have yeah. seen movies from two years ago. and I don't right. really know what qualifies as a thing. What are your favorite movies this year? 
I keep saying Brooklyn. I feel like oh, it makes nice. me sound like I'm sucking up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had I had X Mac in the number five on my top ten list. Number that, five. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, so was Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Brooklyn was on there too. Yeah. Where? Um, I don't remember. What was number was one, two, three, and four? Uh, number number one. one was Mad Max. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah. That was brilliant. So good. Yeah, yes. and number two was. Clouds of Silmaria, a, a weird little. I haven't yeah. seen that. That's yet. a good one. I you haven't seen that. that. That's yeah. Kristen Stewart Kristen and Julia Stewart, Binoche she's going kind of crazy in the mountains. So, oh, oh so yeah, sort of maybe I don't <laughs> want to see that one for a while. Maybe <laughs> well, I'll give myself a break. They have a house. They're wearing like violent, very modern outdoor gear. It's yeah, not. It's, it's not revenant. It was co-funded. It was partly sponsored by Chanel, so it, it looks very tailored and luxe. It's not. Our one was not sponsored by Chanel. No. Have you seen The Hateful Eight as the other movie in the snow and in the West? I saw Hateful Eight two nights ago. Okay. The seventy millimeter with the and all the rest of it and I really really enjoyed it yeah I was I mean I was very very happy to spend time with that film very very happy I mean it's crazy that that and The Revenant opened I mean on the same day basically it was a bit nuts I mean I saw and then I saw The Revenant the night afterwards Mm. but actually uh, they're so different I mean they're so hugely different they've got like these things that if you saw the trailers maybe you would say right okay they've got a lot in common but actually yeah uh, you know one one is, is more dialogue heavy than possibly any other Movies I've seen this year, yeah. apart from Ex Machina, it's basically a play. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, and then and then and then the other one is just very very sparing in that regard. I think then the the way they feel about brutality, I think, is very different. I find the brutality in in the Revenant to be almost soothing at times, um, whereas it's a real assault in in, in the hate yeah. flight. So. And I think that that forty or so year remove, or maybe it's more than that, sixty year remove in history, whereas Revenant's like in the eighteen twenties, and it's really kind of a lot more. Primordial yeah. uh, makes a big difference. The country's in terms still of, being discovered. Yeah, I mean, they're, like, yeah. they're, st- they're still cutting through. I mean, it's almost like rainforest, basically. Yeah. You know, that's what they're getting. There's through. not that same sort of ironic kind of weariness about like, no we've been through a war. Right, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's very true. Yeah. 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 Very Is true. there a shot in The Revenant, I mean, you said you've seen it twice, that when you look at it, like still, even though you know how it was done, where you're like, holy shit, how did this happen? Because there's so many of them for me. But Obviously, I the bear attack. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I wasn't there when they, yeah. I saw them rehearsing. You weren't in that bear suit? No, 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 no. I kept, I asked and I asked and I asked. <laughs> Nothing doing. Um, no, they. No, I remember seeing them rehearse, and I remember seeing that Leo was being really thrown around, mm-hmm. like really, he was, like, attached really to a cable, thrown around. Right? A few different. I mean, they did it in lots of different ways, but yeah, I mean, they were like throwing him against stuff, and this is rehearsal, and then they had this huge, big dude just come out and basically maul him, and like this was getting ready for intensive rehearsals, and I thought, wow, that's going to be something, and then when I saw it, I was like, you know. <laughs> uh, and also that I have to say the opening the opening sequence even though I was there when we were making it it's still I I still am scared to bejesus while I'm watching it I'm like properly on the edge of your seat just the 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 nature of it the you know the uh, mad unruliness of who goes next sets you up for the rest of the film of not knowing of survival being minute to minute mm. and not month to month or paycheck to paycheck it's like minute to minute survival and I think that sets it up really brilliantly so I like those two I always feel for a Will Poulter in that scene and you know mm. you kind of beat the snot out of him later in the movie but yes I do he was asking for it <laughs> let's face it mm-hmm. he left him for I dead I know someone had to do it he someone had to leave him for dead no, no, no someone had to beat the snot yes, out of him yes good yeah yeah no, no, may no. as well be me may as well be me you expect <laughs> it to be Tom but it's me <laughs> yeah no I was like I liked seeing your character kind of be like because you know he's the he's, he's probably the most society this movie has like yes. as someone who has like a safe and has rules and everything yeah. but like when the time comes like he knows to kick someone in the stomach I I, I mean <laughs> well put uh, <laughs> I yes I like I love that about him because in real life Captain Andrew Henry was a very capable leader of men 
he does not start out that way in our film and the reason I think that's okay is because he gets there by the end mm-hmm. but uh, I liked seeing him somebody who was really trying to bring some society and some sense of society and living for other people as well as yourself into this group of men who are really out for themselves I thought that was really nice to see him struggle to bring that in and then at the end I mean really he ends up on as much of a revenge mission as anybody I mean yeah. like in a kind of a nice in a really nice way he's brought down to the level of just survival and um, yeah the question of whether vengeance is hollow or can fill your stomach I'm kind of, I'm, I'm interested by that and I, fi- I find the answers in the film or the things that they offer in the film really really fascinating I think I think Alejandro did something beautiful with it in that yeah. regard. Answers, yeah, you're right. The answers is the wrong word because you mm. don't really know. But it leaves you. I mean, it leaves you, you with a lot to a think lot. about yeah. about about whether that about whether the thing which drives him and which brings him. I don't want to give away the ending of the film, but like which gets him to a place where he can crawl for that amount of time and mm-hmm. get back. Whether that urge, which is what keeps him alive, is worthwhile. Yeah, I find that fascinating. Absolutely. Um, so, on, on a much, much lighter note, sure. so we are our, our podcast is about you know movies and everything, but we also talk about sort of award season and all that sort of mm. fun glitz and glamour stuff. What have your experiences been in the past couple of years, or with award shows and all that? Or do you have? Are you going to go to the shows this year? Or I have not been invited. Oh, okay. Well, that... I am in all of the movies nominated, right. and I have not been invited. <laughs> yeah. Literally, um, so you have you have cameos in Carol and uh, yeah. so I'm good. Great. Yeah. I'm going to keep an eye out next. Yeah. You. You I can't played, remember. You, can't, I remember. You remember. I remember. You played, Carol. You played Carol, right? Yeah, you, 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 your wig work in that <laughs> is really you. something. The, the wig <laughs> is beautiful. <laughs> well, you were at the um, was the Evening Standard Awards where you accepted the award on behalf of your dad, the British I, Independent Film yeah, Awards. Uh, yes, yeah, and then yeah. also on behalf of Tom. Oh yeah, that's right. You were Subsequent up there twice. To that. Yeah. Yes, and I lost to my dad. <laughs> So you're good dad. at award shows. <laughs> That's not I am. Play right I am. I am. I am. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but if I go, I don't win. So <laughs> do you enjoy that whole scene? Do you like putting on the tux and schmoozing and all that? Is that it can fun? be fun if yeah. you pick the right person to go with. Then right. It can be really, really, really good fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way to think about it. I used to love when I would go and like you totally feel like the outsider. I went with my friend once and you know, you just make fun of the whole thing. You know, you just sit back yeah, and right. have a few drinks and kind of, and then it's weird when you go and you actually know a few people. That's, that's a, it's a really different feeling. You have more of a stake in it it's, than a personal, like, because you're, you're well, in Yeah, but or... it's also, you, you can't just giggle. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Just you right. and your friend. You, you, you got, yeah, and it's not even professional. You're very happy to see people yeah. and it's really nice to catch up with people and all that, but it is odd. It is yeah. a very, very different thing. Well, if you go to the Oscars this year, I mean, it's like, you know half the people in the room because it's all these movies that you've <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hello, everybody. So no snickering or anything like that. No, yeah. Boom. (laughs) Is your entire body lighter now that you don't have to be as cagey about Star Wars anymore? Or do you still feel like you have to be cagey? I still feel like I have to be cagey because you can't, you know, like, it's really difficult, for example, talking about The Revenant because you don't want to talk about the ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's more difficult than just saying nothing. So with Star Wars, it's out there now, but not everybody's seen it. Although it seems to have. Close to it. (laughs) So I don't really know. I'm not really sure how to how to feel about it because yeah. I, I hate people who ruin the endings of films. Oh, of course, I hate them. So yeah. I so I, like I, I don't know at what point in the movie to talk about up until. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When would you cut it off? I'm kind of surprised that they didn't with feel Star like a Wars. Handbook. I would. Yeah. I mean, I think a long time ago, a Galaxy Far Far Away. I think yeah. I think you learn about where Kylo Ren comes from and his uh, family that I think yes. a lot of people didn't want to discuss for other people. I mean, we've talked about this in, on this podcast in detail, so I don't know if this is a spoiler free zone. Why but. the hell? would you 
talk about it on the podcast. Oh, well, we, we, we were like, we hey, everyone, warning. we're going to talk yeah. about Star Wars. Hey, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't listen to this if you haven't seen it. Okay, okay. Because everyone enough. wants to talk about it after they get out of it. Yes, this is true. And for you, I mean, like, you know, I know you don't you don't know anything, but, like, there's going to be more Star Wars movies. And yeah. people expect you to be in a position to know about it. So you mm. have to be like, you can't even blink in a way that suggests you know that Star Wars Episode Eight exists. I know. That is, <laughs> that is I'm concentrating on not blinking now. Uh, yeah, that is I think that we is all know it exists. We, there's They'll going to be another make another one. <laughs> I yeah. think so. Yeah. Well, we're they, looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they tend to make another one when things become the biggest movie of all Go time. Not well. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it goes. Well, I think this is that's yeah. all we had. Oh, so thank you so much. Great. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Good luck with everything. You know, thank you. You, you know, you don't have any movies this year to, to you know, in the awards conversation. But if you did, no, we I would know. say good luck. Yeah. yeah thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is there anything you what, what do you have coming out this year? This, I don't know if this is well, I don't show. know. I did a film called Mina with uh, Doug Lyman, Tom Cruise. Oh, uh, right. That's uh, the drug trafficking. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So that was that was really probably out this year, right? I think Chris. I think like I think it might be January or Christmas. Oh, okay. But like it's a long way away. And then and then and then I did a. A comedy which I'm really excited about. The script for it was just amazing, called Crash Pad, that really, really made me laugh. So that was with Thomas Hayden Church, Christina Applegate, nice. um, Nina Dobrev. So that's gonna kind of a stoner comedy. That's gonna be a nice break from a lot of intensity. That yeah. was what I was looking yeah. for, yeah. and it was, you know, just the, just the. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a smaller film. You yeah. never know which way, and you don't even know with the bigger ones which way any of these will fall together. That's why it's got lucky this year. Sometimes you can do things that have that amount of quality, and they just don't work sometimes. So I've just been lucky that kind of this year had a pretty high hit rate, but yeah. you never know with a film like Crash Pad or any film. So we'll wait and see how it goes. But it but it felt really really good, and it was very very nice to laugh. Spend yeah. your time laughing about things was like deciding what was the funniest option was a really yeah. different way. <laughs> we didn't do that on the Revenant. Much. <laughs> deciding which one has the right bear fur. In exactly the, <laughs> the, the most right blood, scene. the correct That's amount odd. of guts. Well, yeah. I say then let yourself go to some award shows in the next month yeah, or two seriously. and like and laugh. Just just you know yeah. return to the old giggle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that would be yeah. nice. That yeah. would be nice. Well, uh, Donald Gleason, thank you so much for Thanks. being on. Thank our show. Thank you very much for having <laughs> yeah. me on. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men full of Oscar nominations. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us all writing about award season at VanityFair.com, or you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich. How about you, Mike? Uh, Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard. Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. And we're all on Twitter together at Little Gold Men. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Tim Einenkel. And thanks, as always, to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Find us along with many more great podcasts at panoply.fm.